The Reformation of the 16th century was a powerful spiritual force, and its leaders demonstrated that when believers boldly proclaim God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, they can bring change to the entire world. And the Reformers did so by teaching on five simple truths called the Five Solas. Hello again, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd. It's my privilege to welcome back a guest teacher that we all know well here on Encounter God's Truth. It's Dr. Andy Woods, and he's come to continue his annual October tradition of teaching us about the Protestant Reformation this year with a brand new two-part series on The Reformers and the Five Solas. Dr. Woods is the senior pastor of Sugarland Bible Church in Sugarland, Texas, and also the president of Schaefer Theological Seminary. He's a theologian and an author, but he's also an attorney, and with his legal background and a great interest in Christian history, he has a passion for researching this topic. During the 500th anniversary of the Reformation in 2017, Dr. Woods led a Reformation tour of Germany, and one of his books is about the Reformation called Ever Reforming. Over these next two broadcasts, Dr. Woods is going to show us how the Reformers became convinced regarding the authority of Scripture alone as they proclaim salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And in everything, they pointed us to the glory of God alone. So please take your personal copy of the Scriptures, if you're able, and follow along as all of us here at Whitcomb Ministries warmly receive Dr. Andy Woods back at the microphone for another unique look back at the Reformation. He's here to talk about the Reformers and the Five Solas, and we look forward to this opening message of the series from Dr. Andy Woods. The title of this message is The Reformers and the Five Solas. What of benefit theologically came out of the Protestant Reformation roughly a little over 500 years ago back in the 16th century. If you pose that question to most people, most pastors, most theologians, they will probably point to the five solas. What does that word sola mean? Well, it's a Latin expression. It simply means alone or by itself. The fact of the matter is the Protestant reformers could have gotten along very well with Roman Catholicism of that time period. And even Roman Catholicism of today, had they not insisted on these five solas, which means alone or by itself. By insisting on that simple word sola, they found themselves at odds with the Roman Catholic Church And thus what started back in the 16th century is the Protestant movement. Protestant, of course, means protest. Why were the Reformers seen as a protest movement against Roman Catholicism? It relates to their insistence on the use of this Latin word, sola. So with that foundation laid, let's take a look in our brief time together at the five solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation. The first one, I believe, is the most important one because it establishes a base of authority. The reason why Roman Catholics and Protestants differ on so many points of theology relates to their starting point. The starting point is the authority, and whatever your base of authority is, that will determine your conclusions. 
So the first of the five solas is what is called sola scriptura, which simply means scripture alone or scripture by itself. In other words, in the minds of the Protestant reformers, if you could not make your case from the 66 books of the Bible that we currently have, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, if you could not make your case from those 66 books within the canon of Scripture, then you are arguing for a theological point that isn't worth believing. It must come from the Scripture. Very different from Roman Catholicism, where it finds authority in the vicar of Christ, they call the Pope. The Pope, of course, in their belief system, is the individual who currently exists on the earth in place of God. In other words, when the the Pope speaks, you take his proclamations and you put them on the same level as Scripture itself. Roman Catholics believe it's Scripture plus the writings and proclamations of the Pope, who they think is speaking ex cathedra or from the chair. Martin Luther, right out of the gate, rejected that concept and rejected that principle. Notice what Martin Luther said, quote, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Close quote. Luther said, if I'm going to be convinced of a theological truth, I have to find it in Scripture. It's very interesting to me to learn how this very basic principle of sola scriptura, in fact, it's so basic we take it for granted today, but it's interesting to me how that very concept is being undermined by many today within evangelical Christianity. Let me read to you a quote from an emergent church writer, a modern contemporary emergent church writer, and he says this, quote, Anglicans have demonstrated this both and beautifully in relation to Scripture. Scripture is always a factor in Anglican thinking. In Anglicans' best moments, it is the primary factor, but it is never the only factor. Rather, Scripture is always in dialogue with tradition, reason, and experience. None of them, sola, can be the ultimate source of authority, close quote. Now, you'll notice in that particular quote, he is denying sola scriptura as he is placing tradition, reason, and experience on equal par with Scripture. This is the very thing that Martin Luther rejected in the Protestant Reformation. Tradition is not to be equated with Scripture because tradition can contradict Scripture. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13 
said to the Pharisees of his day, you have made null the word of God through your traditions. Reason cannot be placed on the same level as scripture for the very simple reason that original sin has contaminated even our minds and our reasoning processes. This is why Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, lean not on your own understanding. This is why Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. And this is why Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. So are God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. Furthermore, experience itself should never be equated to the same level as Scripture for the very simple reason that Satan can give people certain experiences. In fact, this is what is going to happen in the last days concerning the coming Antichrist. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, that is the one whose coming is in accordance with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, close quote. So when tradition, reason, and experience depart from Scripture, we must depart from tradition, reason, and experience and instead embrace Scripture. We think this way as Protestants because of the first great truth that came out of the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura. And once the Protestant reformers established the Scripture as their base of authority, they were then in a position to discover or retrieve from the Bible that had been lost through the Dark Ages and monasticism for other solas. So number two after sola scriptura is solus Christus. And what the Protestant reformers meant by that is simply this. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, the Bible, if it's not clear on this, it really isn't clear on anything. Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We learn in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus could be our mediator between God and man because he is the only God-man. He is the only person who is subsequent to the virgin conception, 100% God and 100% man. That's why salvation can be found in no one else. In fact, to Paul, the apostle in the book of Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 20, 
essentially says, and actually verse 21 says, if salvation could be found any other way, then Christ died needlessly. There is no point to the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ if there was another mediator between God and man outside of Christ Jesus. And so this was the second great Reformation truth that was embraced by the Protestant reformers, solus Christus. And in the process, the Protestant reformers rejected what we would call Mariolatry, this idea that somehow Mary is somebody that you pray to, or Mary, Christ's mother, is somehow a co-redemptress. Of course, we have great respect for Mary as the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we dare not elevate her to a level that she does not belong in. She is not someone that is an intercessor. She is not someone that is a mediator. She is not someone that is a redemptress. Salvation is found only in Christ. Sometimes you hear Roman Catholics elevating Mary to the level of a perpetual virgin. In other words, following the virgin conception and virgin birth of Jesus Christ, she stayed a virgin her entire life. That is patently contradicted by the scriptures because in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, we learn of the half-brothers of Christ. After the virgin conception and virgin birth, Joseph and Mary had a normal marital sexual relationship and from that relationship came Christ's half-brothers, two of which who wrote books of the Bible, the book of James and the book of Jude. No, Mary is not a co-redemptress. She was a sinner just like the rest of us because Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why Mary herself in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, refers to Jesus as my Savior. <laughs> there would be no need for her to refer to him as my Savior if she was a co-redemptress herself. So we have number one, sola scriptura, and number two, sola Christus. The third sola is what is called sola fide which simply means salvation is by faith alone. In other words, there is one and only one condition that the lost sinner must meet in order to be justified before a holy God, and that is faith alone in Christ alone. Faith is more than just an intellectual assent. It involves the idea of trust. The moment a person is trusting in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation and the safekeeping of their soul is the moment they are justified before a holy God. And the Bible will say this roughly 160 times. Some classic uh, passages are Genesis 15 and verse 6 where it says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him. For righteousness. Other classic passages would be John chapter 3 and verse 16, 
which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You'll find this concept of sola fide in John 6, verses 28 and 29, where people asked Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You'll find this concept of sola fide in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And verse 31, when the Philippian jailer asks that very important question, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31 of Acts 16 says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You find this concept of sola fide in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 which is a classic passage, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And this takes us now into our fourth sola, which is sola gratia. Sola gratia means salvation through grace alone. What is grace? It's unmerited favor coming to the lost sinner. And we receive that unmerited favor as a consequence of our faith alone in Christ alone. Martin Luther called this the great exchange where at the point of faith alone in Christ alone, our Unrighteousness is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. And God the Father now looks at us as if we are just as righteous as his son because that righteousness has been transferred to us as a work of grace on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul explains and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It's interesting to me how so many of these solas that we're studying here are linked together. For example, when you go to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 4, And verses 4 and 5, it says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is done. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, we receive this righteousness from God on the basis of faith, because salvation is through faith alone. So because salvation is through faith alone, something we can't earn, we now have Christ's righteousness being transferred to us by way of grace. So we have sola scriptura, solus Christus, sola fide, sola gratia, 
just one more to cover here, which is Sole Deo Gloria. In fact, the great composer, the great musician, Bach, used to end his pieces with the anacronym SDJ, which simply means solely to the glory of God. Because salvation is a work of grace from beginning to end, and because the only thing we can do to receive it is to trust in what Jesus has done for us 2,000 years ago, no glory or no credit comes to us. The glory remains totally with God where it belongs. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 42 and verse 8, God explains very clearly there that he does not share his grace or his glory, for that matter, with another. This is, of course, the great struggle with many people with the gospel is they want some of the credit themselves. They want to believe that somehow they contributed in some small way to their salvation. This is why the gospel, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11, is an offense. You see, when you receive the gospel, you get no credit because you can't brag about a gift that you just received from God. So the gospel principle in and of itself excludes boasting. Do you recall how we concluded Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9? Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You have the same principle at work in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, where it says, particularly verse 27, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by law of faith. And so these are wonderful truths that have come to us through the Protestant Reformation. The five great solas of Christianity. Sola Scriptura, Solus Christus, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Deo Gloria. And so as we prepare to celebrate yet another anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, let us bask today in these great truths that have been handed down to us. Thank you, and God bless you. You're listening to Encounter God's Truth with special guest teacher, Dr. Andy Woods. Once again this year, we've set apart time during this month of October to look back at the importance of the Protestant Reformation. October 31st is Reformation Day, and we want to help you be prepared to make biblically informed choices in deciding how your family will celebrate on that important day. This is already the fourth fall in which Dr. Woods has joined us to discuss this topic, so we have a wealth of his previous teaching to offer when you visit sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. You can go there easily from our main webpage at whitcombministries.org. This year we're focusing on the five solas of the Reformation. And my question to you, Dr. Woods, is, how did the Reformers develop the ideas behind these five solas? Thank you, Wayne, for that wonderful question. These tremendous truths would not have been derived and developed had it not been for the first sola, sola scriptura. 
The first order of business for the Protestant reformers was to establish their base of authority. Where is authority derived from? Is it tradition, councils, monks, the proclamations of the popes? No. The Protestant reformers believe that an idea is not worth having unless you could find it squarely and clearly articulated in God's word, the 66 books of the Bible that we have. Here is a famous quote by Martin Luther in his debate with Dr. Johann Eck, quote, I ask for the scriptures and Eck offers me the fathers. I ask for the sun and he shows me his lanterns. I ask, where is your scriptural proof? And he adduces Ambrose and Cyril. With all due respect to the fathers, I prefer the authority of the scripture. Close quote. In other words, if a theological idea was not found clearly in God's word, then it wasn't worth believing. Because they started with the right starting point, God's word, They found in the scripture the remaining four solas. Thanks, Dr. Woods. We always appreciate all the effort that you put into teaching us. And we want to invite everyone listening to join us next week for part two of this special mini-series on the Reformers and the Five Solas. That will be right back here on Encounter God's Truth. For more encouragement in the week ahead and updates throughout this fall season, follow our page at facebook.com slash Ministries. Until next week, for Dr. Andy Woods and everyone at Whitcomb Ministries, I'm Wayne Shepherd. May the Lord strengthen you in these trying times through dynamic encounters with His truth.